start with our first song, Sea of Victory. You know, there are 168 hours in a week, but this one hour on Sunday mornings always is different for me. It's this moment in the week where I feel like I can relax. I feel like I can be myself. There's a sense of peace and freedom. And so I pray that that happens for you this morning, that whatever you walked into these doors, whatever you're sitting at home with, that you would feel God's peace rush through you, and that this one week, this encounter 
with Jesus, his very presence with us in this moment, that this one hour would carry you through the 167 other hours of the week, that God would fill your soul in a way that nothing else quite can. That's what we get to do together on Sunday mornings, and it is such an honor to get to do it together. If you're new here at First Pres, welcome. We are so glad to have you. We would love it if you would fill out a Connect card. You can scan the QR code to access it on our website. You can grab one in the pews if you're here in person. This is just a way for us to get to know you and to help connect you into the life of the church. And here's why we want to connect you into the life of the church. It's because this is a place where you can be yourself, where you can experience real relationships with others and with God, and you will begin to see real transformation take place in your own life. Please pray with me. God, thank you for this one hour, this one hour where we're going to see a victory that's going to carry us through the week. God, I pray for the person who's sitting here right now, whose heart is beating, who says, whew, God, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I pray that we would lean in further into you, God, into your presence, that you would make us new. God, we have people on our hearts and on our minds this morning that we want to bring before you. Lord, we pray for our leaders, for Fitz and Kathy and Adam, and about 20 other men and women from our church in their 20s who are up in New Hampshire this weekend, Lord, doing a deep dive into their abiding relationship with you, Jesus. We pray that they would leave this weekend different and refreshed and made new. Lord, we pray for Tommy Shannon, who has COVID right now. He was just taken to Jacksonville and is in the midst of ECMO treatment. God, he needs your healing power on his lungs. And so we pray for Tommy and for his family, and we pray that you would bring that for them. We also pray for Sharon Davis recovering from COVID. We pray for a complete healing and recovering on her life. For Lynn Ritchie, who's in the neuro rehab at TGH, God, would you renew her and refresh her and surround her family and buoy them up. Lord, for Larice Garcia, who is recovering from a mysterious reaction to the COVID vaccine, God, would you calm her fears? Would you help the doctors navigate? For the family of Berdina Morgan, who died this week, Lord, we pray that you would just provide for their family, that they would draw near to you, Lord, that you would comfort them. For Jackie Faircloth, God, we always pray for her. Lord, we love Jackie. We pray for your hand to be upon her life, her brain, her soul, her body, God, we pray. Lord, that you would work a mighty miracle in her life. And finally, Lord, we pray for all of those in the path of Hurricane Ida. God, for people we know who live there, for people we don't know, Lord, we pray for safety for them. We pray, Lord, that you would protect them, that you would surround them, uh, that you would get them to safe place and safe coverage. So God, we give you this morning, we give you our lives, and we love you. Amen. Good morning, I'm Elizabeth Kristen. I'm excited to share some announcements with you. Today is the day we've been waiting for. It is Grab and Go Sunday. Um, Anything in the church office or on the third floor in the classroom that's at the top of the stairs to the left or for the people that are willing to take a chance and ride the elevator like I did, it is operational. Um, And there's tons of great furniture, gently used things, um, things that we've been eyeing for the last 40 plus years. But I also wanted to mention in the office There are all the Bibles from the church pews, and there are all the hymnals from the church pews, so um, please get yours. This one's coming home with me. Um, I also wanted to mention that two Sundays from today will be our final church service here on Zach Street. We're going to have a fantastic worship service with a celebration. We're going to show photos. Sally Glisten's been putting them all together. Um, It'll be fantastic. There'll also be a sneak peek about... Our new home that will be on Horatio, we'll be sharing that with you. And um, spoiler alert, Kathy Connor has not aged one day. Um, the, tomorrow night, we're going to do a dry run for White's Gourmet. That will be where our interim worship is going to be starting on the 17th, which is in three weeks. Uh, we're looking for volunteers to help us set up and dismantle so we can figure out how many people we need, how long it takes, etc. So in our for an interim space between now and when... Um, Interim space will be available at Horatio, will be at Wright's Gourmet House. I can't imagine all the people whose lives can be changed if they come all the way in um, to Wright's when it's normally closed. 
And I also wanted to share that um, Jeff Mount, who's the owner of Ripe, has graciously agreed to lend us the space without any cost to us. He goes to a different church, a different denomination, but he is generously sharing what goodness has been um, shown through him. And as a member of the session and FP 2.0, and FP 2.0 is the group that worked on the sale of this property, the relocation and purchase to the new property, and the design of the new building and funding for it, I can tell you that the church makes great stewardship of the gifts you choose to share. And on one of the slides I'll be showing, um, there's five ways that you can choose to share your gifts with the church. So, thank you. All right, we're going to stand back up for this next one.
the word says, for the spirit of heaviness, put on a garment of praise. That's how we fight our battles. This is how I fight my 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 battles. It may look like I'm so. voices. so many things now that are kind of distanced or are whatever. I think I got some feedback, Bruce. Thank you so much. Um, we do so many things that are distant, and it's just great to see your faces. I am encouraged by being in the, in the same place in God's house with you today. And if you've come in here today or you're joining us online, by the way, I don't know if you know this, 
but you can invite people to church online. Like, I do it all the time. Like, people are like, you know, I'm not sure I'm quite ready to be in a space with people. Okay, you can still worship with us. So for those of you that I invited, I'm excited to, that, to see that you're online. But we all have that opportunity. If they're not sitting next to you, they can still be with us. They can still worship with us. That is a real tool to help people engage with the gospel. So don't just assume because they won't walk in the door with you that they won't worship with us. You're just as much worshiping on your couch as we are right here in the pews. So welcome to you guys and welcome to all of you here in person as well. And, um, you know, as uh, we prayed earlier, uh, we have 21 of our young professionals who are currently worshiping. They're having a church service in New Hampshire right now at the same time that we are worshiping and they are praying for us. And I encourage you throughout this service to pray for them um, as they are going to travel home this evening. They've had an incredible time. I've been getting text messages all weekend um, just as they are encountering God in new, fresh ways. They have decided to abide, to be with Jesus, and to be with each other. And so I just encourage you to encourage them to keep doing that. As we see them, it's a value of ours to be in real relationship that brings real transformation, and they are actively taking a role in that. And so we're excited that that's what they're up to. So most of you who would know me at all first know that my name is Bryce, and I'm the director of student ministry here, so I get to work with anybody kind of 11 to whenever. And I happen to, beyond that, um, I love runners. I think runners are incredible. I ran. Um, I am from a, a family of runners. All of my uncles ran. In fact, when I quit running, my mom didn't even know what to say to me for weeks because, like, that's what our family talked about was running. That's what we did. I love runners. I ran. I get to coach runners. Like I said, I'm from a family of runners. Now my son is running at plant. Like it's just in our DNA somewhere. I, my cousin coaches at a major university. Um, all distance runners. And I love them because there's just this kind of sense of individual and collective work ethic that comes together with runners. They work hard. It's required of them. They have to have a certain intentionality to get up when they don't want to, to go push their bodies when it doesn't feel comfortable, when they have no real desire to have gotten up at 5.30 in the morning to take a half an hour drive to then go run eight miles and then drive home. Like that takes thought and desire and intentionality. And I love runners. And um, as I, I've said a couple of times before, I ran in high school and I was pretty good. I've gotten the, the real pleasure of coaching much better young people than I ever was, but I was pretty good. And um, when I was a junior, though, I got to experience the other side of being a runner. I got hurt. And I got hurt pretty bad. I had a tendon inside my left leg that separated from my ankle. And thankfully, I didn't need surgery, but it was going to take a long time, a lot of rehab, and a lot of time off. And so I had to cross-train. And cross-training is not something that I had ever really done. I had started racing. If you ask my knees, I started racing way too young. But I had been racing consistently since like fifth grade. And I got to my junior year and I was finally hurt enough that I really couldn't compete. And it was hard on my heart. It was hard on me mentally because I had a lot of identity tied up. And I can run further faster than the people around me. And it messed with me a bit. But... Like I said, I had to cross-train, so I had to get on the uh, exercise bike, and then I also had to aqua-jog. I don't know if you've ever aqua-jogged, but you got to put on this funny belt thing, and you go get in the pool, and you act like you're running, but you're not really going anywhere, right? So for 30 days, essentially, I rode a bike that went nowhere, and I ran in circles in a pool all by myself. And it really played a real number on my head, except for... There was one wall in the natatorium at my high school that had our school logo on it. And underneath it, it said, can't stop, won't stop. And so as I took lap after lap after lap, I would just go, can't stop, won't stop, can't stop, won't stop. And somewhere in me, it started to change who I was. And I kept going and I kept going. And let me tell you the craziest thing. After 30 days, I, I got the... Uh, ability to return to racing, and I hadn't had any impact on any of my joints for a month, and yet I was in outstanding shape. I actually won the only race of my entire high school career when I got out of that pool. 
can't stop, won't stop, stuck with me. So it's important. But we've been in this great series lately, this built series. And I don't know if you've noticed, but even where we have built, like the, the blueprint behind that, that's real. Like that's the dream of our own building. Like it's a real picture of a real thing. And it just encourages me then when we see that right there, like that's potentially a new worship place for us. Like we didn't just go find a blueprint. It's our blueprint. And so I don't know if you knew that, but it's important to know that when we're building something, we're building something on purpose. And we're building something right now that you can see. But we've been in this series and we've been trying to figure out how, first of all, when I was here last, we got to talk about putting things on a, on a firm foundation, right? We talked about what it's like to pour that foundation and put it in the right place that might be just exactly where God would have you be, even if there were stumps that needed to be removed, even if there were things that needed to be kind of real, realigned, there was a perfect place for us to build our foundation. And then we saw Fitz was online because we didn't have a hurricane. And so we saw him talk about how you had to reinforce the things you built. He brought out rebar and showed us that you would have to infill and build up and, and keep things steady because storms we knew in real life were coming. And then we've seen that these are the pillars that you want to build a, a house on. You want to build a life on our habits, our time, our money, our thoughts, and our relationships are the things that you want to start creating the framework for your life, for your church, for your community on these things. And then last week, right here, Kathy sat in a chair and talked about what it's like to know you've got good bones. Right, that you, if you know you've done the research and you look inside that house and you know that it's got good bones, that it could have great curb appeal. Right? But that falls away. But if the house has good bones, then it will, it will stand the tests of time. So what happens then when we've worked hard, we've done all the right things in our homes, our lives, our churches, our community start to change, but there starts to be opposition. You know, how do we handle situations where there are roadblocks that start popping up where others don't like what they see? What happens when it becomes really clear that not everyone appreciates what we've built? That's a real thing. We've worked hard on it, but that doesn't mean everyone will approve. We're going to look at a man today in Scripture that had this very thing happen. He took a huge project. I mean, massive. And when I explain it to you, you're going to go, that's a big project. He, was, he took on a ton, but he was challenged at every turn. His name is Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah set out to complete a massive project that God had him build. He wanted him to build the walls and restore the walls around all of Jerusalem. He wanted them to be rebuilt because they had been crushed. The gates had been leveled and the, the big doors had been burned. Everything was decimated. In fact, he said that it was such a disaster, it was embarrassing. The people of Israel then had been dispersed. They were in exile. They were all over the known world. But Nehemiah had found out and he felt as though God had put a call on his life to rebuild these walls. Create a safe place to call God's people home. It's a big challenge. That's a lot to be asked to do. To call God's people home. It sounds a lot like what we're asked to do every day to continue to build something that protects people and makes them feel comfortable and lets them know that it's okay not to be okay inside and we can call you home. But before we pick up the story, I just want to ask you, what's your big dream? What's the big thing God has put on your life that if he doesn't show up, it's not going to happen? That big, hairy, audacious goal, that one thing that gets you up in the morning, that makes your heart race, that makes your face flush, that you're like, I have to do this thing and I have to do it the way God wants me to do it. Or what's the point? It might be personal. It might be your thing. It's just you and God. Or it might be for your family. Or it might be for this church. Or it might be for our community. But we all generally have a dream. We all have something bigger than ourselves that gets us up in the morning. And I want us to picture those things as I talk about building this wall. Because we're not all building a wall. But we are all building something. 
But we're going to pick up the story right at the very end. I don't normally like to do that. I like the beginnings of things. But we're going to pick up right at the very end of this story. Nehemiah has rebuilt the city walls in 52 days. 52 days. I mean, he had help. It wasn't just him and rocks. But he rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days. Less than two months. And the walls are back up. The gates are about to go in. So let's see what happens. We're in Nehemiah 6, verses 1 through 14. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at once in the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. And this is what it said. There is a rumor amongst the surrounding nations... And Geshem tells me it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Later, I went to visit with Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. He said, us, let us meet together inside the temple of God. And bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse me and discredit me. Remember, O oh God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done. And remember Noadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. Woo! So Nehemiah is nearing the finish line. He has laid the foundation. He's reinforced this project. He's put the right pillars in all the right places. He's certain the bones are good on this one. He's about to see his project come to completion. And right there in his face is opposition. See, these guys, they haven't been happy with this project from the beginning. They've plotted and they've schemed. And for the last two months, they've failed in their call to ruin this thing on Nehemiah's life. And now they're getting desperate. We see a pattern, though, that I hope will be helpful to us when we come against our own opposition, whatever that might look like. You see, first they distract, then they divert, and then they disrupt the call on Nehemiah's life to reframe the future of Jerusalem and call God's people home. See, first they distract. He, sends, he gets sent four letters just to try to get him to take his eye off what he's doing. Maybe for us, this looks like something unexpected, like a medical bill or a conflict or an unrest at work or something that's, that's going on. Or maybe it's somebody in your family has gotten ill or something comes up and it's just distracting from the thing you feel like you're supposed to be doing. But more practically, maybe it's something a whole lot smaller. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's endless scrolling of the news takes up time that is keeping you from doing exactly what God made you to do. Maybe it's your calendar 
Maybe your calendar, if you look at it, it tells you what you're worshiping, right? Are you, are you worshiping school runs? Are you worshiping your, your children's schedules? Are you worshiping your job? Or is there space in it to do the things that God asks us to do? Or maybe you're just distracted by self-doubt. Maybe you go, man, that's a big project. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to do that, but I, I can't be the right person for that, right? Like, that sounds like a lot. Like, I'm not sure that's really for me. Like, I really would love to see it happen. I'm passionate about it, but it probably needs to be done by somebody else. Self-doubt can distract us in a mighty way. But it's also important to know that when opposition comes to distract us, it doesn't come once. It doesn't just go, oh, well, I put that down today, so I'm not going to be distracted anymore. (laughs) It just keeps coming and keeps coming until we squash it. And Nehemiah says, can't stop, won't stop, I'm not coming. But secondly then, when that didn't work, there's a diversion. So we didn't get distracted, but now there's a diversion. See, these guys show up with an open letter. That's right, open letters did not start on Facebook, right? Everybody likes to read an open letter to whomever. They're centuries old, and they were meant to have the same impact then that they do now. They want to stir up emotion and get a reaction, right? That's all an open letter really is about. So they stir up emotion. But this open letter is nothing but a wad of gossip. It's terrible. Do these lines sound familiar to anybody? There's a rumor going around. Anybody ever heard that before? (laughs) There's a rumor. Or, and my friend tells me it's true, right? Like, there's a rumor, but somebody I trust is backing me up, my friend says. And then the the one that's even better is, you better tell me what I want to know, or I'm going to make sure everybody knows about you. That's painful. Like, but there's nothing to tell. It doesn't matter. You tell me what I want to know, or I'm going to make sure everybody knows. I don't care if this is true or not. I'm going to keep on sharing it. There's a rumor going around. My friends tell me it's true. You better tell me what I want to know. I'll make sure everybody knows about you. What do you do with that? <laughs> See, they ask him also to come meet him in a place called Oh No. There should be a red flag right there. Don't take a meeting in a place called Oh No. You shouldn't have to do that, right? You should be like, Nope. You're in oh no, I'm in okay, we're oh no to you. No, I'm not coming. I'm not taking a meeting in a place called oh no. But when you start to actively reframe your life, the church, this community, diversions just like this, they're on the way. They just are. I know we all want to believe the best about the people around us, but we all know that things that are not true travel a whole lot faster than the things that are. Whether we like that to be true or not, it is. So these things, they're coming, which is why it's important that we've got that foundation, that we know we're in the right place, that we can stand there secure and say, yep, you're going to say stuff, but I know I'm in the right. And then finally, there's this disruption. Someone close to Nehemiah, in this case, Shemaiah, tells him he's got to stop and go hide in the temple because his enemies are going to kill him that very night. He even covers the disruption as though it's a word from the Lord. Has anybody ever had this happen? I've been praying and I feel like God is saying to you, fill in the blank. And you're just like, huh? Like, come again? (laughs) That doesn't seem like it lines up with the character of God at all. He certainly didn't say that to me. I mean, I've been praying too. I definitely haven't heard that. Nehemiah, though, had spent plenty of time with God. He'd used right discernment to recognize that not everything that is called a word from the Lord is actually a word from the Lord. See, he knew his foundation. He'd reinforced it. And he knew that what he was hearing wasn't in line with the character of God. And all these things, Nehemiah can't stop, won't stop. He didn't come down. So it's quite a story, right? Nehemiah had real, obvious, physical examples in Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, 
the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arab. These guys are representative of whole people groups who hated the Jews and didn't want to see God's people return home. They just didn't care what they did. They just said, no to you. We don't like you. And I did some research, and I learned that the Horonite people were sworn enemies of the Jews. They were pagans that practiced witchcraft and other magic. And the Ammonites, they were considered consistent antagonists. Or in many of the Jewish writings, they were referred to as little gnats. Annoying, frustrating, in-the-way kind of people. We've all got the little gnats, right? We've all got that thing that buzzes around in our head when we feel like we're finally taking steps towards what God wants us to do. We've got that thing that just always seems to be in the way and take our energy. It might be a person. You've got that person who just sucks energy from you. And you're like, gosh, here I go again. They're just going to demand something from me. It might be a situation that you're like, I just keep avoiding it because it just feels like a gnat. It just won't leave me alone. So what about us? What does our opposition look like? All too often, it starts to look like this. See, Nehemiah was building a wall. I don't have room for a wall. So this is going to be my wall. And as we build and we move forward and we take steps up, we get closer to the person God wants us to be. We start doing the things God wants us to do. We come up against opposition we may or may not have expected. And the closer we get to the top, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the closer you get to the top of a ladder, the more nervous everyone gets. Like if I step on this one, people are going to get a little bit nervous. I'm not. So just so you, I also would get a little bit nervous. But the principle stands, the closer you get to that thing God has for you, the more the people around you get nervous, right? Those people around you, they may start to say some things like, don't forget where you came from. We know who you really are. We were there when, fill in the blank. Don't forget where you came from. Or, how about this one? Who do you think you are? It's a big question. Who do you think you are? Hey, I, I know you from when you were little. Like I was there, I was holding your hair back when you threw up. I was there when you made that decision I wish you hadn't made. Or you said that thing to that person who's still injured because of that thing you said. This one comes up. You think you're better than us now? We know you're hanging out with Jesus. You've got all new friends. You think you're better than us, huh? That's opposition. That's scary. What do you say to the people who've been in your life a long time who think you've changed so much they can't talk to you? They can't relate to you. You'll never change. I know who you really are. You will never be anything but fill in the blank. Whatever just came in your head, kick that thing out right now. And then finally, I told you that you'd fail. Aren't there just those people who have some sort of gift for being in the right place at the wrong time? Those people who inevitably are going to catch you saying that thing you wish you hadn't said or doing that thing you wish you hadn't done or drinking that thing you wish you hadn't drunk. They're there and they're going, I got you. I knew you'd fail. You're a fraud. This thing is fake. You're not all that anymore. But Nehemiah consistently said, I'm not coming down for that. I've got a really important job to do. And I'm really close to the top. 
I know that I'm doing exactly what God asked me to do. And in fact, he said that he returned to work with even more assertiveness to accomplish the goal. But there's one more that can really hurt. That the people really close to you might say. They start off with a compliment. We love that you're following Jesus. We think that's a good idea. But can you take a day off once in a while? Can you, can you come with us on the trip? Because, I mean, I know that, like Jesus, people don't really want to come with us to wherever. You know, we're all going to go. Can, can you really still do that? It's a hard thing to answer. When you're working hard, you're going up, you've done all the work, and the people closest to you are like, we're, we're not sure how to relate to you. Can you still party with us? Can, can you still come to this thing? Can you still experience life our way? Can you just take a day off? Let me encourage you with two things. One, God gives a way out every single time. If it's the case that you got asked to go to the thing you know you shouldn't go to, there's still a text message that says, hey, you know what, I'm out. You can be on the way. You can still go. It's a stoplight. I'm getting an Uber. I'm going home. It doesn't matter if you show up. You can still leave. God consistently says there's a way out when you're somewhere you didn't want to be or you don't feel like you're supposed to have ended up. And secondly, none of us are going to do this built thing perfectly. We're just not. It's not a lack of faith. It's not anti-scripture to say we're flawed. That we will make mistakes. We will do things we wish we hadn't. But that's why Jesus is here. But here's the truth is even when we do screw up, even when we do have challenges we didn't see coming, we have to go back to that place where we say, I can't stop. I won't stop building. See, God put something on my life. And I got to believe that when I return to it, I'm going to do it with even greater determination. So you might be saying to me, I like this idea. I want to be a can't stop and don't stop kind of person. That sounds good. I want to reframe my life. There's definitely some places where, you know, the, the shingles are falling off or the, you know, the roof isn't quite in line or whatever. And I, I need a reframe. I need a place to be better. But I don't know what to do. I want to be the kind of person who comes up against really hard things and perseveres, but I just flat don't know how. You know, it seems really hard, Bryce. I struggle with the everyday stuff as it is. I don't really know that I can build anything. I'm just trying to breathe. Like, that's it. I'm doing like the left foot, right step, right foot, breathe, left foot, right foot, breathe to get through my Monday. I'm not sure that building is really in my future. Let me tell you that I get that. That our team here gets that. That we have a lot of days that are exactly like that. Individually and collectively. Come to staff meeting. It sounds like that. <laughs> we know we're building, but we're tired. <laughs> we know we're whatever, but it's a lot. Hey, these people are struggling and we're going to engage with that. But man, it can be really hard. And we know that. And we're right there with you. So what do we do? What do we cling to when things are out of control? Firstly, own it. Own the feeling of being overwhelmed. Just say, I know that there is stuff coming at me. Don't ignore it. Don't try to sidestep it and go, oh, it missed me. Challenge averted. They're just going to keep coming. You can't dodge them all. So own it. Say, there's a challenge in my life. There is something coming at me right now. I've got going on. It might be a person. It might be a relationship. It might be financial. It might be a negative feedback loop that you have in your head where you just, one thing goes wrong and then it just starts to spiral and it just 
think, you start having fights with people that aren't there. You start thinking about things that have nothing to do with the actual circumstance, but it just makes you feel better to just, ah. So own it. Acknowledge it and deal with it in a healthy way. But then get back to work. There is something on your life, that thing I ask you to think about before. There's something that you were made for, for you individually, for you as a family, for us as a community, for us as a city. You're so important. You've got to get back to work. You can't let these things, whatever they might be, distract you. Then remember God's promises to us. Because then when we get hit with, remember where you came from. You actually have a reply. You say, I'm a citizen of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. I am a child of a king who loves me and has anointed me to do great things. That's where I came from. That's home. When someone says, who do you think you are? See, I'm a child of a father that lavishes his love upon me and lets me be called his child. I'm adopted according to his purpose and according to his will. I know who I am. And when you hear, so you think you're better than us now? Your comeback is no. It was by God's grace that I am changed. Nothing I did. It was a gift from God. He took all of my brokenness and gave me his mercy in a beautiful exchange on the cross. And I am so grateful. Am I better than you? No. I'm grateful to Jesus. See, when we go work, we can do it one of two ways, right? We can go and say, I got to work, got to work, got to work so that God will love me, so that God will love me, so that God will love me. Or we go, I get to go to work, I get to go to work, I get to go to work because God loves me, because God loves me. Because God loves me. We can't stop. We won't stop. We won't come down. It's been an amazing series we've been in so far. And I'm not the end of it. But this built series has taught us how to build a life that stands these tests of time. And we've laid this foundation now. We've built up these walls and fortified them with God's strength. We've framed them with these habits and time and money, thoughts in our relationships. And we've taken time to inspect our work. And we know that the bones are good. And today, we've looked at how to respond when there's opposition to our work, which is inevitably going to come. But I have to ask, as we start to wrap this up, kind of what is your response to what we've done so far. For some in the room and online, this might be the first time that you've really ever considered the things of God having anything to do with your life. It might be the first time or maybe the first time in a long time that you've said, I think I'm, I'm going to go to church. Something drew you to church today. Somebody drew you to church today. You saw us on Facebook or YouTube or wherever and said, click, yeah, I'm in. Maybe it's the first time. Maybe it's the first time in a long time. And you're considering these things of God. And maybe it sounds good. Maybe today is the day that you decide you want to start this reframing process with your life and your future. Your response could be to start a relationship with Jesus or even to reconnect with him today. For others, there are real challenges in your way. You're sitting here or at home, and you keep thinking that enough is enough. You're tired of the drama, the difficulty, the unexpected. And maybe you're feeling distracted, diverted, or disrupted. For those of you today, can I encourage you to just hang on? The way you feel today is not the way you feel on your best day. The best is yet to come for you. With Jesus. He's got you. Your story isn't over. And then thirdly, there are friends in the room who are very satisfied right now with their current life. You're comfortable. You're satisfied. You're good. 
Change is scary. And you really don't want any of that. But can I ask you to ask Jesus, what's next for me? Tell him you're ready. So here I am. I've built some stuff in the past. I hope my track record sets me up for the things I'm going to build in the future. Send me. Maybe today is the day he'll show you just how to get uncomfortable enough that he can call you to call more people home, just like Nehemiah did. And as we begin to kind of close in prayer, I want to pray for each of these groups. First, for those with us in person and online who want to be part of God's family, who need a reframe. And secondly, for those who need to be encouraged today not to come down and live and give in to these challenges. And thirdly, for those who are ready to get uncomfortable, to make room for even more to enter the family of God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we so badly want to be built. We, we see that there are great days ahead. There are amazing things ahead for every single one of us, regardless of how we came in or how we joined online. God, that today could be a very special day. Today could be a day where we build a monument to you and we say, that was the day I started reframing. There are people amongst us in this room right now and online who need a reframe. And the only one that will last is, is one that you create. And so, God, I ask right now that you be drawing near to those people and that they might be praying to you right now for either the first time or the first time in a long time that they know, Jesus, that you are who you said you are, that you are consistent, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, that you draw us from death to life, that you bring us from a place of kingdom of darkness to the beautiful kingdom of you, the beloved Son. If that's you, if you're somebody who just desperately needs the reframe, today can be your day. Can, today can be the day that you say, that's me. I want today, August 29th, to be the day that I started. You say, Jesus, I love you. You are who you said you are. And I commit my life to following you. When you say to put up a pillar, I'm going to do it. When you say, don't go down, I'm not going to go down. When someone says, who do you think you are? I'm going to say, I'm a child of Jesus. Mm. And for those of you, Jesus, who need Jesus to come close to you because you're in a real challenge, God, I, Jesus, I pray that you would come and be with them. That you would come and draw close to them. That you would say, I am enough. That I have been with you this whole time. Just keep hanging on one more day. The best is yet to come. I died for you. I love you. I care for you. Please keep going. Don't you come down. You can't stop. You won't stop. Because what I've put on your heart is so important to our city, to your family, to me. That you can't. And God, lastly, those people in our community that need to be made uncomfortable, that are ready to say, I want to figure out what my role is to call more people home. God, draw near to them as well. Be with them. Encourage them. Give them boldness and lift them up in your goodness to say, today is my day. I'm going to build a monument and say, this was the day that I said I'm ready to build again. And God, for this church, for this city, for this state, for each of us individually, I just say thank you so much for who you are, what you've done, and how much you love us. God, thank you for those who began a relationship with you today. Thank you that you're drawing close to those who need you today. Thank you that you are helping those feel, be filled with boldness who need that as well. God, we pray these things in your mighty name because your name has power. Amen. Please join us in worship. Go ahead and stand up. You take what the enemy meant for you. 
I'm gonna see a victory for the battle. 